Welcome to the Alcon Maddox COVID-19 War Plan podcast series. Our world has changed forever. The COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in rapid adaptation on a global scale, affecting both our personal and commercial lives. Our ability to develop and evolve business processes and practice has never been more important. During this solution-orientated podcast series, we have unraveled the current top of mind dangers faced by business managers in the technology sector and pieced together actionable strategies with the help of industry experts. We aim to help as many companies as possible chart a course through these turbulent times and wish you every commercial success in the future. Episode 16, how to conduct business without the handshake. In this episode, we're joined by Eric Lung, COO at Simplify and take a look at how software vendors like Simplify are adapting to the new landscape and what they are leveraging in order to thrive. Irrespective of changing market conditions, businesses still need to operate and revenue still needs to be generated. Simplify is an AI automation company creating digital employees that allow any business to leverage the power of AI in their everyday processes and workflows. My name is uh, Eric Lund. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Simplify, which is a company focusing on using AI technology to automate business processes. So um, I started this company three years ago uh, after we worked uh, extensively with uh, AI technology and understand the potential of what we can take that technology to generate business value. And one of the most low-hanging fruit, uh, the lowest hanging fruit that we actually see is that there's a lot of repetitive work being done every day in office settings that could be automated using the technology uh, AI and how that would free up the spare work capacities to where the workers can spend on working on something that is more value added for both the businesses and the worker themselves will feel more satisfactory. So um, it has been a very nice journey so far. Uh, Since the start now, we have grown to be an international company of uh, 70 plus employees and uh, we have a wide partnership network across the globe plus a dominant uh, market position in uh, in analytics. Fantastic. Even despite those good things, the reality is I think that the the COVID-19 is obviously, um, well, not thrown us all off the rails, but it's certainly affected us all to different uh, degrees, right? Um, Now, before we get into the strategies that you and I discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and how we overcome such challenges, what I really want to understand from your perspective first is, uh, you know, as a software vendor, what are the, what, what do you see as the key challenges uh, in the market faced by companies like yourselves? Yeah, actually, it's. Um, I might actually start by kind of reflecting upon uh, how COVID nineteen hits us. Uh, it, of course, it all started on our personal life, then it started to reflect on businesses. I remember when there was an outbreak just coming into Europe, I was still on my trip to uh, Spain. And um, everyone was a bit scared because, you know, I'm one, I, I am Chinese, I look Chinese, and uh, the outbreak did start from China. So I had to spend a lot of time explaining to them, I'm actually not from China, I'm from Norway. And, uh, and, and then I've tried sending uh, masks to some of my extended relatives in China, and I realized that actually the DHL wouldn't go through because it's just considered a scarce item and it makes it very difficult to uh, to allow people to just simply transport them uh, to individuals. And that's when I'm starting to realize that COVID-19 is actually not just like a swine flu that was just a period of time and it will go away. Um, yeah. So then it's starting to be kind of serious. And then get back to the office after the vacation and then I realized that some of the businesses started to ordering their employees to stay home the work capacity of the teams dramatically dropped uh, from some of our customers. And then we realized that we're getting often these answers from our uh, sales processes with our potential customers. Either they are, um, their businesses dropped uh, dramatically, so they got hit pretty bad economically. And then we have another group of customers which we thought, yeah, you don't really get hit economically because we're in the health sector. You you should preferably have a lot of inquiries or for travel insurance uh, agencies that you know have a lot of people having to ask for refund. So you should actually have more inquiries and it will make the business case even stronger. But no, they don't have time to talk to us because they're completely swamped by everything that came uh, into the customer service team or any of these repetitive work just becomes uh, increased uh, exponentially. 
So, yeah. and of course, you will still have a business who will be by both ends who are actually having to staff up more to handle the inquiries and their economy gets hit because of the COVID-19. So overnight, almost, that we realized that the way we conduct business have to change dramatically because we're not getting anywhere. When we're trying to book a meeting, you know, let me come to your office. Like, no, nobody's in the office. You can't come to me. And then, okay, no, something is uh, different and we have to react. So, so that was how, how we started to realize that COVID-19 is, uh, is very, very serious. It's going to change the way we work and the way we live for a period in front. And I think more and more companies have, you know, at the, certainly from, from the interaction I've, I've had with companies over the last few months, at the beginning of the period, there was, what my experience was, was, there was an attitude of, okay, let's wait and see, uh, hopefully things will get better. But the, the reality is, whilst, yes, arguably things have got better as far as business is concerned, um, albeit moderately, the reality is um, the, the wait and see attitude has now shifted because there's no such thing as, and I said it in the last session, there will be no system in the post-COVID-19 world that people were originally waiting for. COVID-19 is here to stay. Um, so we, we now understand a lot of the behaviours that we have to accommodate from a, from, a, from a business perspective, be that reconfiguring our workplace or reconfiguring processes to engage with uh, customers and partners. Um, so it's really that, that, that I think is really the part that I really want to kind of dive into in a bit more detail with you today because, you know, irrespective of changing market conditions, Businesses still need to operate, right? We still need to make revenue. Um, we still need to, you know, the plan is to still be here in, in five to ten years. So business continuity is obviously key. Now, during our last session, we or you actually walked me through three of the strategies that Simplify um, are employing in order to navigate this period uh, of ambiguity. Um, you know, we discussed um, so the revision of market strategy. Uh, adjusting sales processes, gaining trust without meeting face-to-face, -face, of course, as well, being very important. Um, so what I want to do today, Eric, is for you to just walk us through each of these uh, one by one. Um, but before we do that, just a reminder to the uh, to the people on the call today, look, if you, if you have any questions or insights along the way, guys, just write your uh, questions in the chat box, uh, and I'll quite happily read them out uh, to Eric as we go. Similarly, like I said, if you have any insights, just type capital I uh, and write the insight. And again, I'll read that, that out just to ensure that um, obviously the content that we're delivering here is obviously a, a, a value to you guys. So look, let's take the first one um, as we go, Eric. Revision uh, of market strategy. What, what do you mean by this? And how, how is that applied um, to simplify? Yeah. Um, once we started to realize that things are no longer the same, we, like everyone else, have to tell our employees to stay home and um, the sales processes basically across the board, they just stopped up. And, and the way that government is communicating most of the time is that they're giving us the facts. This is where we are now, but at the same time, they're also giving us the hope, saying that if we do this, if everyone is in this, hopefully this will be a period that will be over soon. So we have always gotten this two to four weeks forecast that for the next two to four weeks, it will be closed. People will be staying home. But then maybe we will be opening up within four, four weeks' time and such. So this mm -hmm. is the time when the business goes into let's wait and see motors. And I'm talking about around March, April. And of course, yeah. in April, we also have Easter. So then it becomes uh, more like people are already in Easter motors earlier. So we don't really get through them. And so instead, we use the time of planning. Okay, if it opens up again in April, what do we do? If it doesn't, what do we do? And then we're starting to have multiple scenarios where it simulate how likely we are uh, with getting the businesses that we were due to the closing before the COVID hits us, and then how, how likely they are we can revive it and then starting to, uh, to close them. So we make different scenarios, we make the adjustments. Of course, we need to revise the forecast uh, as a scale up. We have an investor we need to report to. We got to make sure that our uh, numbers are accurate, as accurate as it allows to be. So then we realized that uh, one thing, is that we, not every single country in this world got hit by COVID-19 at the same time. It, there's, a, there's a process of things transferring from one place to another. And uh, around that time, we were also uh, lucky to be put into contact with a company called the York Group uh, in the US who are working with uh, scale-ups like us. 
and they have an international network of partners that they would like to connect with us. For a company like us who has uh, who is uh, ISVs, in independent service providers, and uh, with the Microsoft licensed service providers, and how we can together generate more value and generate more consumptions of the Microsoft uh, Azure services. And after a workshop with them, we realized it was a really good fit. There's a huge market potential for our services across the globe. So they opened up the network to us, and they start introducing us to their partner network. We will start by the countries that are actually not too heavily hit by that first, or, or the ones that are already past the first phase. So we started off with um, the company in UK called Bytes. Now we have a partnership agreement with. We spent basically the first month uh, getting to contact, getting through the, um, the introduction. Since we are not in the same country, naturally it would have been uh, normal that we would take the meeting on Teams anyway. And it really doesn't make a difference they're sitting at home or in the office. Then we were introduced yeah. to Bob, which is our, um, our um, highlight partners in, uh, in the Middle East. They have actually been very positive to us uh, all the way from the beginning. And uh, then we also have uh, ongoing data like Australia, uh, New Zealand, Asia Pacific. And we also use the time to uh, ramp up the sales capacity in our office in uh, India, which we also already have a development center already. So we spent the time where everyone in Norway is wait and see into using the, the spare capacity that we have to ramp up our international strategies uh, while there is the capacity. Because everyone has the spare time away from the operation, then it would make sense for us to, why don't we discuss something that is a little bit more long-term? And that happens yeah. to be the little gap hole that we managed to utilize during those two months. So, yes. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's incredibly interesting how. So what you're saying is the, um, uh, you know, the, the advent of COVID-19 and the recognition that, like you say, it wasn't affecting each country at the same time, nor was it affecting each country to the same degree. Um, it it almost, uh, I guess, propelled your um, globalization strategy, um, because as you say, you know, because of what you do, the, the the nature of your your business and who can benefit from it. Uh, there are no borders, right? Uh, the only a border is that perceived, uh, and it's just because you haven't made or or, or uh, received introductions. And like I say, partnering someone with like the York Group sounds like uh, almost a marriage made in heaven to some extent because it really did open up um, the other markets for you, which is which is fantastic. And you mentioned um, uh, there's there's one thing that you said, obviously minimizing the risk by by going global. Um, perhaps earlier than you maybe would have anticipated in your, um, you know, your roadmap uh, because of the current situation. You said upskilling, um, you said sales capability in India, but then also you you said um, uh, utilizing spare capacity. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? About that? You know, where is where is the spare capacity? Who are the people that weren't before, not necessarily performing, but working? <laughs> if I can use that word. Uh, so the sales team naturally would have less sales meetings to go to. Uh, that, that's uh, natural. And uh, so we utilize that time to do the market analysis. You know, where do we want to go first? Again, are these field sales operatives now? Or, or Correct. So, yeah. yeah, those are the same capacities uh, usually. Uh, our yeah. operation, because we are a product company, so our product development team, it still continues to going as it was before. So that didn't, for us, didn't change that much. Uh, with, if there's one thing that has changed a little bit, is that makes it easier for us to actually recruit talents uh, because mm -hmm. also the talent pool has been a lot, the quality of the talent pool has actually increased uh, quite a bit as well. Yeah. We're a lot of the lucky ones that we have a solid, solid uh, economical foundation that we don't have to do massive layoffs like some of the larger companies might have to. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden we start realizing, oh, uh, for the same salary level, we could get people with a much higher quality. So, so with that as well, so we all of a sudden have a team of people that instead of chasing after sales in the near term, we could actually sit down and start to plan, okay, if we were going international, what do we need? And uh, what do we need to succeed? Who would we have to approach? In which order and such? Um, in addition, then uh, together with Vaad and our uh, Bytes and your group, all of these partners, they also have the spare capacity of time to, to actually sit down with us, to go through our product and service offering, 
and derive the go-to-market strategy, for example. And in that sense, we would then, in a way we call it, hit the ground running, because uh, that was the next point I would like to get to, is that towards May, June, and July, people started to realize that, okay, we can't just wait and see. It has been two months, it has been three months already. And so something has to happen eventually. And, uh, and that's when the dialogue started to wrap up, started to open up again. But by that time, we emerged as a different company. We're going from a company who have a customer base, one customer base in Norway, and looking to expand to our neighbor country, Sweden, into a company that already has now an international sales channel, uh, backed by Microsoft, the York Group, and the partner network. And for that, we have a completely different message to go out to the market. It's now we are somebody who is established, we're here to stay, and our solutions and products are useful in many different countries. Hmm. And it adds to the trust a lot uh, in that sense. Yeah, I think that's, uh, it's actually quite an interesting thing to, to, to take on board. I think for a lot of the companies based here within the UAE or, or any country really, because what, again, a lot of the conversations I've had over the last few months have been, you know, how can we, you know, there's been this uh, desire, if you like, for, for companies based within the UAE to hear from other companies based within the UAE to, as to how they're adopting to the um, uh, to the current situation. And, and the reality is, although you guys are not based within the UAE, I think your principled approach is 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 something we can all learn from, right? Because why should we just kind of draw in our vision? Because of the challenges we face, when the reality is, if we just you know push those challenges down a bit, try and get over them, we can see uh, a lot further afield, which is exactly what you guys are, are doing now. And I think that's you know that's a, it's, it's a fantastic example that you're setting, and I think it, it would be quite inspiring to a lot of uh, companies that are that are listening in today, um, because it just it proves that there is opportunity to do business if we're looking in the right places, and and. Sometimes looking in the right places means, first of all, obviously establishing the right partnerships uh, and, and the right connections. So, tell me, how did you how did you go about forming those those partnerships and getting those introductions, like to people, like with people like the York Group, for example? How, how did all this come about? Yes, um, it's all business relationships. Uh, with the York Group, it started off with Microsoft. The York Group has a really tight relationship with Microsoft and. Uh, the timing-wise, it hits really well with when uh, Simplify was also scaling up the collaboration with Microsoft, uh, both in Norway and expanding to Europe. Um, we started, we are on their app source uh, offering as well as the Azure Marketplace, and um, and we just through some internal introductions, we we got into contact with the York Group, and uh, they have already a plan on how to roll out ISPs like us, and we went through the the program, the understanding what our product offering is. They help us refine the message, the pricing schemes, and the partnership model, and then take us to their partner network. So, and by then, we have already done uh, enough practice on how to conduct business in the COVID time. Uh, so we got really equipped and used to having teams meeting. We're really efficient on how to have a short and concise message in each meeting so that it, it can, uh, in a way, make it work instead of actually we have to meet face-to-face -face all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, with through them, then we got into contact with their network, like as I mentioned, uh, Bytes in the UK, Raw Technologies in, uh, in Dubai, and they could play in Australia and such. So then uh, we started to take what we have learned in order yeah. of having uh, meetings uh, using Teams, Zooms, and then we would run the same way um, to with the other companies, with the other partners. So. Mm -hmm. It has been uh, it has been quite smooth and straightforward. We we gotten the help that we need from uh, your group to kind of drive the process forward, as well as yeah. uh, we we have been very short and concise on who we are, how we do things, and these are kind of the work that we have done in the in the initial quiet months that we have spent the time on sharpening the marketing message, etc. Yeah, so that's Back to the point you mentioned earlier on about it sounds like you almost repurposed. Uh, the sales guys in, into different functions or got them to think more strategically about like say go to market uh, marketing strategy this kind of stuff which isn't typically their uh day job let's say um 
but exploring, I guess, what what your employee is, the, the additional things that your employees bring to the table, I think is also something other companies can learn from because I think it's very easy when we recruit someone, um, you know, we, when, when, at the time we recruit someone, we're very interested in their background, what they've achieved in the past, what kind of value they can bring. So we get sold on all of this, uh, this great stuff. Then, then we, we put them into a position, we forget about all that stuff. <laughs> uh, and we just almost isolate them or put them in a pigeonhole and, and, and forget it. But I think what you've done is almost the reserve, reverse. You kind of, okay, we need to do things differently. Get everyone's CVs back out. Let's see what we're all capable of and, and start to contribute in ways that we perhaps are not typically paid for. But I think that's, um, that's again, something that I think other companies can really um, learn and take in inspiration from. Uh, we have a question from uh, Xu Wang, which I'll uh, just read out. Uh, it says, uh, uh, hi, Eric, do you feel COVID-19 outbreak? It is more difficult to get contracts with new customers or other ways around. Do you feel using webinar to build relationships uh, and trust as opposed to face-to-face -face meetings? Uh, yes, it is actually, uh, no doubt, it is actually tougher to, to get a contract in the COVID-19 times. Uh, that's what the economy data shows that um, the business activities have dropped a lot uh, across the globe, more or less. Uh, it's, we did some reflection on that internally. It's like, why is that? Um, and that's when we come to the realization is that the, the fact that we used to be able to go to the customer, shake them in the hand, look them in the eye, and sit down together on both sides of the table and starting to talk, to be able to observe the way they react, the body language, all of that, they mean something. Uh, yeah. The process of evaluating should we proceed or not. There's more feelings uh, behind um, a business decision of whether to purchase something. And there's always this trust element. Do I trust? this vendor, this company, who is relatively young, that they're able to deliver what, uh, what they promised that they should, would have. And uh, that always becomes less so if you're on a camera. Like, for example, right now, you'll see me from the chest up, shoulder up, uh, but you don't see how my hand gesture is, how you don't see how, how my lower body would be. And, uh, yeah. and that's all the things that makes it very difficult to read from the salesman's perspective. Are the customer thinking about uh, what are they thinking about? Uh, do they buy into the story or do they not? You, you miss yeah. some of the body language reading from the sales meeting. So that means naturally the sale process will be slower. But on the other hand, if you're able to find the unique value proposition, the selling point, it's not just why should we acquire this solution? Why should we acquire this solution from Simplify? But also why should we acquire this solution from Simplify now? and not six months later. Because everyone is in the way to see models. But if you manage to get past that, then the, the yeah. contract is still on your side. We have managed to get customers during the COVID-19 time uh, period, when it was a lockdown. We have actually uh, successfully sold to several customers who we never shook their hands on. Uh, it's mm -hmm. tough, but it's not impossible. Uh, but then we have to be extremely sharp with our message because we have to replace the handshake, we have to replace the, the body language, uh, and everything else would have to be the way we speak, the way we present ourselves, and that's also the time where references, trust becomes ever more important. Yeah. So I think, I think you made a very good point just about the the ability. It's almost to some extent a different skill set, being able to close business um, without being present with someone in the room. I mean, I've I've experienced this firsthand in. The early part of my career, I was a, a stockbroker, uh, and a stockbroker is essentially a glorified telesales person. Right? You know, we're 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 calling people we've never met, uh, and we're getting people to send us uh, money for investments based on you know a handful of conversations on the phone. And I think it, it goes the two things that that I think are needed in order for the for the business relationship to start or for you to close deals, irrespective of what what you're offering, is. Um, you need to be very obviously transparent in, in, in what you're doing and the fact that you are obviously there to to um to close the deal, yes, but to build a relationship for the future but then also i think from a from a buyer perspective buyers i think need to be more willing to accommodate uh you know let's say an extra few minutes of conversation to really get to know someone um because this is the one thing uh that we can never get back right it's the it's the time 
and is the type. So irrespective of whether you're meeting face-to-face -face or over a, a video conference, if you're both willing to invest the time in getting to know each other better and each other's value proposition, and if there is alignment there, I think it's it's both the buyer and the seller's responsibility to invest that time to see where the, uh, where the relationship goes. Now, obviously, you're not going to entertain every single person that calls you, um, but the reality is that's where, if you like, the new uh, or enhanced skill set of a sales department comes in. It's how do you uh, inspire that trust early on in the conversation uh, so that, uh, that your your potential new partner gives you that gives you the time to to, to explain the value of it. You know, we're we're talking to new companies all the time, and I think the the interesting thing for us is we. We we don't we don't cold call or help you. That's not that's not our business model. But the reality is, we're very confident in what we do because we know we can add value. And um, because we know we can add value, that comes across in everything. Um, you know, every, every conversation we have, and I, and I think that's maybe comes back to maybe internal training within companies as well. It's like there's a there's a new level of understanding of our own products that we need in order to take it to the market. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um... Another aspect of how COVID-19 changes the way we, we are also is uh, it strips everything to the bare minimum. There will no longer be time for let's do something because it's cool, do something because it's nice to have. Uh, everything will back to we absolutely need it. If not, there is no time for that because not only are they strapped on the cash because of the economic uh, outlook is uh, uncertain, but also because you will have less uh, staff on hand to do everything there is to do. So yeah. only the key activities uh, become the remaining. And uh, for us, of course, um, we, we don't go into a customer without uh, a business case, but then everyone else do. Everyone has a business case that they lay up in front and say, you know what, if you invest into this solution, you will get this much gain over time. But how do you still get the attention among the tens of uh, business case in front of uh, the potential buyer, uh, the customer? It's then it becomes the next aspect. What you were touching up on the trust. Now we we have a really good value proposition. We tell everyone, you know, it's uh, we we can remove ninety percent of your uh, repetitive work. If we can deliver it within a month, and you have your investment uh, paid back within six months. You know, it almost sounds too good to be true in many settings, but we we are able to deliver. But however, because it is so advanced and the, the business case is so strong, then it. It's starting to become this, is it possible? And then people are starting to have, then we started to have to have uh, references. We need to have uh, trust. And to mm -hmm. gain the trust without the handshake, being a young company like we are, it is of course naturally, it's challenging. So Microsoft, your group, all these customers that we have had, they become very good uh, ambassadors for us. Uh, the mm -hmm. fact that we have gone through a very rigorous track to get our solutions on the actual marketplace, app stores, and the fact that we have zero customer who resigned from our product ever since the production setting, all of these count for something. If you're ever in doubt, here's the number to our reference customer, feel free to call them. We have already got enough uh, satisfied customers who are willing to speak for us, advocate for us. And that helps to knock down the initial um, worries or lack of trust issues so but uh, but trust is very important because um, without that you, you will be competing on a lack of foundation and uh, that becomes a very difficult fight uh, from day one definitely so I, I think the point you know the point you mentioned about essentially I guess borrowing trust um, from partners is absolutely key especially when breaking into new markets as well when you've got someone for example um, like for argument's mistake, like bad technologies uh, representing you uh, in this region, you know the the reality is I, I'm sure there are there are there are companies that are you know will entertain um, simplify as a solution based on bad technologies um, reputation, not yours, if that makes sense. You know, you, and that's the kind of uh, leverage I guess you use when you're when you're accessing new markets, and that's I guess the benefit of the, of, of uh, uh, of having such relationships because they've obviously gone through or, or they put you through your processes in order to qualify as a, as a, as a vendor for them in, in much the same way as you've done the same for them. You know, are they, can they add value to our network? Can they introduce us to, to, um, 
uh, to a new client, new market, new partners. Um, but it all comes back to relationships, right? It's, it's relationships, but then it's also how can you prove, I was sitting with a client yesterday, uh, and they were sitting with the, the pre-sales guys, uh, and they were explaining to me the, the, the question that often doesn't get asked uh, in a sales meeting. The pre-sales guys get called after the meeting for, all, for almost a, you know, a, a, a back-channel conversation. The question is often, usually asked from one technician to another, look, can you deliver? It, is it possible? Um, yes. Because sometimes the sales guys will, will, will obviously, um, you know, not embellish the truth, but, but certainly they're selling the product, right? Um, but for the tech guy talking to a tech guy, there's this uh, respect uh, level. I just thought it was a really interesting dynamic that this, this back channel conversation has. And often it's that conversation uh, that will influence whether or not the deal gets, uh, gets signed. Yeah, technology is uh, usually the at least in the field of AI, sometimes it might become the make or break. And uh, I guess this is where I also, you know, my um, technological background also comes in very handy. Uh, and also we have salespeople in our team that also has a tech background. So that they naturally can go a little bit deeper into the discussion and they would not be perceived as just a sales guy who will say anything to get something sold. Um, instead, you can actually hang with the customer on, on another level, on going a little bit deep down in, into, okay, how exactly can you justify that you can actually automate 90% of the workload? Well, yeah, because you just stop it repetitive, we handle the repetitive case, we focus uh, on the 90-10 rule, and uh, there will be 10% of the acceptance that we will just leave it for the colleagues to handle. And, and then it's starting to make sense, and then you match that up with reference cases, you match up with uh, other uh, partners who are also advocating for you, then, then it's starting to add together to a complete picture. Okay, these guys are for real. They're not just talking about something that is fluffy, but they actually can deliver and they have delivered. And uh, mm -hmm. that makes a big difference in the, in the crucial moments to get down to, can we trust these guys or not? But of course, then afterward, we still need to discuss uh, the process, the pricing, and the references, etc. We have a, another question, uh, again, from Xu Wang, so I'll just read it out again. So, uh, Eric, do you think COVID-19 uh, has brought more threats or more opportunities uh, to simplify in terms of sales? Well, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in also, the, the person who asked the question is also Chinese. Uh, in Chinese, the word crisis is actually written in two words. It's uh, danger and opportunity, which is kind of how the Chinese view any crisis, is that you will uh, always look for the opportunity when there is danger. Um, mm -hmm. Was it also um, the quote from Winston Churchill, you know, never waste a good crisis. Because there's always, it's in a way, it's a shuffling of the deck. You, some people will come out as winner, some people will come out as losers. So you have company like or in Norway, we have a company like Hexit that their, their need, that demand, dramatically shot up because of, uh, of this. And um, in Norway, we also have another company called Order, and uh, they basically do this QR code, ordering food and payment on the app for any restaurants because you no longer can have a way to waiters walk around and uh, taking orders anymore. And then these these services that emerges because of the crisis, they are the one who actually assess the situation really well and understand what what it needs in order to um, in order to offer the service. That matches with the current situation and simplify to a high extent. We're doing exactly the same thing. We realize, we understand that you're not going to have a full staff customer service team. And even if you do, inquiries usually doubles, triples, if not more, for, for some individual industries. So we target these customers. We would get enough reference case, get enough trust, and then we would target the message to these customers. Now, if we can do that without you having to commit resources, get a approval concept, get a test trial with us. Once you use it, you understand it works, it makes it very difficult for them to turn off the systems afterward. And then we started to put it more and then we started to get the scale of the business from there. So, and then we target, uh, we target um, countries where they're usually heavily on the manual labor. And then from there on, we will have a value proposition because manual labor sort of makes it even more scarce in a time like this. Um, so therefore, yeah. we usually have a little bit easier uh, way in at the beginning, at the very least. 
So, a question for you. So, forward thinking perhaps, but again, based on conversations I've had with companies over the last uh, five months, um, where success has changed from, um, you know, obviously everyone works through a budget, they have a forecast for the year, but some companies have now thrown the budget at the window uh, because things have obviously been so um, uh, uncertain and, and ambiguous, let's say. So some companies, their, 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 their goal for 2020 would be to stabilize their organization. For some, it would be to, to maintain uh, their existing headcount. What is what does success look like to simplify in 2020? For us, would be to maintain the growth rate as much as possible. Now, um, everyone said uh, actually we, we went through. Yes, sorry. Uh, I like that. You, you started off with maintain, implying that we're going to be uh, keep it steady, but you said maintain the growth rate, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still uh, for about the, the growth uh, because um, that's basically the, the life of uh, the projectile of the company at the early stage. So once we once we get to a certain size, then we can start talking about maintain, maintain. But the, right now, it's the growth that matters. Now we did land the round of funding that we planned for uh, in February. That was you know when the European stock market more or less just crashed across the board, and uh, if. And we were actually, after some research, we realized that we're one of the few companies in the market who at all manages to do that. To raise, not only to, to raise funds, but to raise the fund that, of the amount that we expected, that we needed to have and expected to have. So that gives us the trust, that gives us the, um, the guts to kind of charge forward. It's like if we can manage this the most difficult task, and that is to raise, raise money during a stock uh, market crash, then. Yeah. To say when it comes to growth and everything, it, just, it should be something that we should manage. So the only difference is how where do they come from? I mean, we postponed the, the plan of going to Sweden, but instead we wrapped up everywhere globally. So mm. if things turn out the way it is, we're still expecting to have the year like we have planned for at the beginning. Uh, but uh, we have to do some more tweaks to the to readjust our uh, strategy. But that we have to do as uh, as the world has changed. That's the way we see it. So, um, so what is next for you guys then? You know, how do you, how do you see your solution of product offering? Um, well, let's stick with what we have at the moment, right? How, how do you see that offering or generating value for businesses that have been affected by COVID nineteen? Yes, um, I think there are already people saying that uh, there is no such thing as post COVID nineteen. We we might have to learn to live with these kind of uh, um, diseases. Uh, with us for, for a while going forward. Or even if the COVID-19 has phased out because of vaccine, we might still have something else coming up in a few years. So what we need to do is that we realizing that your supposedly most stable of assets, uh, human resources, might be fluctuating over time uh, availability. So using a digital employee offering from Simplify to bridge the gap the productivity would have been like having fact, uh, having machines in the factories, and it is the trend that is has started because of uh, probably COVID nineteen or even before. But it's going to be here to say it's going to be more ubiquitous than uh, in the future. So I can say any businesses who are serious into maintaining the service level or looking to grow should have a digital employee in their departments, working side by side with their employee to bridge the gap when there is growth in traffic or when there is a less availability of the resources for whatever reason. And having that working in every single company in, uh, in most of the departments, this is where we see Simplify will be driving the trend as one of the um, market leader in this area. Mm -hmm. So then how, how does this, if, if you can think, think perhaps uh, you know, further into the future, how much more, you know, your, your solution today is, is, is very obvious, I can definitely see the market fit, but what, how much more can technology uh, move forward in, in that respect? You know, how do you see, uh, or where do you simplify specifically in the next three to five years, given that the transformation that you've undergone already and that you'll likely have to undergo in the next few years? I think um, what we are working with right now is called AI, artificial intelligence. 
Uh, I know there will be some year left before we can call it uh, artificial general intelligence, where it's starting to have some common sense of its own and be able to do more tasks than itself. But what I see going forward is that within a few years, instead of having a digital employee working in every single department, we might each of us have our own personal assistance in the form of a digital employee working just for me. So imagine for you, Richard, you could have maybe have an assistant digitally mm -hmm. going to your mailbox, booking the meetings for you and answering some of the basic inquiries based on uh, what you have taught. And yeah. that would increase the productivity of each and every single one of us by multiple attitude. You know, say if I all of a sudden got sick, I have to be in a hospital, I still have maintain a certain level of productivity through my digital assistant, for example. And that's kind of the future I see, and that's what it is worth striving for. Mm. Definitely. Um, and then, so, so your globalization strategy is pretty clear at the moment, given what's happening. In, uh, are, are there any, is there any particular, obviously we're, we're very aware of what you're doing here in uh, the Middle East, but are there any other countries or, or regions that you've, um, that are on the short-term radar for you guys? Um, right now, we are um, just about to uh, close down our partnership agreements in, uh, in the Australia, New Zealand region. Our next mm -hmm. step will be Asian Pacific because, as I mentioned, they're also a region with a lot of uh, human labor, and uh, mm -hmm. which also are pretty hardly hit by COVID-19. Um, then, of course, uh, it's everyone's dream to be able to uh, get the foothold in the U.S., which is mm -hmm. the absolute toughest market for any uh, IT vendors who are looking to establish there. Um, but also there is the, before that we have a whole Europe uh, one by one then that we also need to uh, look into and conquer it. So challenge is of yeah. course you have a huge market only speaking one language and then you have in Europe uh, similar market size speaking about 15 to 20 different languages so there will yeah. be of course more challenging but it's also Geographically, it's closer to us, so we should uh, we should not overlook it. Yeah, excellent. Well, I think it's, it's it's really interesting some of the points you've mentioned today, guys. Look, if there, if there are any other uh, questions or insights, please uh, pop them in the chat box uh, now, and I'll happily read them out uh, to Eric. But just to kind of recap on the the themes or the strategies, if you like, that we've been discussing today, uh, Eric. So the obviously the, the challenges because of the the pandemic, you know, we're having to accommodate a new way of doing business uh, without the handshake, as you quite rightly said. Um, so the revision of the market strategy has obviously been quite key um, for you guys and I think for software vendors across the globe. But that revision of strategy has, as you said, propelled uh, your globalization strategy because it's the realization that, you know, why wait? I think the reality is you, you'd always plan to go global, uh, like most IT companies, but the reality is given the current situation, it created almost the perfect storm to some extent to propel you into different uh, territories, but, but then also um, you know, being introduced to um, people like the York Group, solidifying the relationships that you have with uh, the likes of Microsoft has obviously helped uh, move that forward uh, as well. Uh, the second thing we touched on was, or the second strategy rather, was the uh, the adjusting of the sales process. So, you know, accommodating new ways of doing meetings, um, or Teams or, or Zoom. Uh, and you've, you've already said that you've managed to close quite a few deals without even meeting companies already, right? That's correct. Uh, it was actually quite magical um, in the sense that, okay, so we had a um, couple of meetings on Teams to explain, of course, who we are, product offering, answer the questions, we write the offer, and then they go through the verification process and they did the reference check and then, then it became a signature. It's, uh, yeah. we, have to, we have to be very efficient. We have to be very sharp on the message. Uh, but yeah. at the end of the day, it is uh, possible completely. Would you say there was one thing, um, one, obviously the different way of having a meeting, I'd say rather than face-to-face, -face, you're, you're, you're uh, doing this via video conference. But would you say there is one kind of key takeaway in, in the way that you've realigned your sales process that, that, that makes the um, the video conference work for you guys? Because they, do, do you understand the question? Do I make that clear? Yeah. Um, well, the attention will be fully on the camera. 
So then it's really important that um, the body languages, there is has to be assuming that it doesn't uh, going to be recognized or being seen. Uh, probably need to also ask a little bit more questions just to make sure things are clear because you don't get to read as much out of the, the context or the, the language. Sure. Uh, um, of course, the meetings cannot be too long. Uh, you know, of course, in a, in a regular office, you can take a coffee break, go out five, five minutes, come back. Uh, in the Teams meeting, we cannot have meetings longer than one hour usually. Anything more than one hour, you will notice uh, easily the other party will loses their attention span, for example. So that's another thing that is worth uh, looking into. Um, I used to like to read a lot into the handshake. Um, you know, there are different ways of doing a handshake. He also says the personality will be different. I lost all of that. Of course, uh, now all I got is the words that comes from both party and to judge basically the likelihood of the sales, what are the main, um, the main concerns of the customers, what, what are they, evaluating when they're evaluating a vendor, et cetera. All of these things, all I have is facts on the table. It, it might actually put a new perspective on how we're analyzing the qualified leads uh, in the future. But, uh, yeah. but certainly this period has taught us a lot about how to conduct sales in a completely different settings than before. Yeah. Is, is there anything that, um, that you've learned, let's say, not to do? Because obviously, the, like you say, we're, we're talking about the success of, the, of some of the deals that have been signed uh, during uh, this period where you've had to accommodate video conferencing, but have there been deals where you haven't signed? And if you look back and reflect on why they've not been signed, would you put it down to um, a process that was still being ironed out? Or, or would you put it down to, you know, because not everyone's obviously going to buy our solution, but do, do you think that now you've, it seems that you've, like I said, ironed out the kinks in your process? Do you, do you think there will be customers that you could come back to now that you're a little bit more? polished with that kind of delivery? Uh, absolutely. Um, if there's one thing that to uh, really put a hand on, put a finger on and uh, really do the analysis, uh, we haven't lost too many deals that became a no, but we have quite a few of the deals, especially early stage, where the customer says, this is very interesting, but I don't have time to look at this right now. Please come back in a few months. In a few months, we come quickly, a few months more, and then it just becomes what we call it are the zombie cases. Um, mm. The thing is, once we, once we go through the analysis, we realize that there is one very important element that we couldn't address good enough in order to make sure the deal goes through at the beginning. And that is, why should they go for us now? I mean, if we're preaching that you would gain the productivity, you'll gain the quality, and all of those things, they exist. If you buy from me today, you will have it. If you buy from me six months later, you still have it. And if right now you're swamped or you have other projects that precede you in priority, then you will naturally fall down in the pecking order. So that's really mm. important that we need to address. You know, there is a difference if you acquire our solution now versus six months later. Usually there will be a, another type of uh, value that adds, for example, um, companies who are already reaching the SLA on the inquiries on answering the inquiries because of the increased traffic due to COVID-19, uh, or that each of the mistakes are very costly, you know, and the cost far outweighs the cost of the solution. And if you, if you don't resolve that now, you have to keep paying the cost of the of the errors until you, you acquire from us. And that might yeah. be a cost they're not willing to live with. It's the idea of, like I say, your 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 solution clearly solves a problem that the majority of businesses have. But the reality is, if that problem is not top of mind, they're not going to want to solve it today, right? I mean, I I, I, uh, I run a class here in the UAE for uh, for the Dubai Chamber, um, helping startups commercialize their operation. Uh, and one of the one of the sessions we hold is how to elevate the status of your uh, problem because a lot of startups they obviously create a company they, they you know they've, they've 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 adopted the you know the problem solution mindset and they 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 get frustrated when they don't get any traction but it's because yes they solve a problem but they haven't solved the right problem in in the well, eyes of the buyer right even more difficult right yeah absolutely so yeah. it is um, it's important to address the why now uh, that's always the question that we ask ourselves in the sales team before we go into the meeting it's like 
Yes, we understand that we have something to offer for all of our customers, but why should they buy from us now? If we couldn't answer that question going in, we would, we usually won't have a much of a high success rate of uh, getting landing the deal. Um, yeah. Usually, the cases that we manage to get, we have the why now question answered. So it's very important yeah. to think about that because now we're done with all the innovative coolness, nice to have. Everything got stripped down to the bare necessity. So we need to make our solution the bare necessity that any company would need. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Okay, and then the final thing was the um, the, the final strategy that is is gaining trust uh, without the face-to-face meeting. So borrowing trust um, from from partnerships, as you said, like be they be they the York Group, be they Microsoft, be they uh, uh, distributors in, uh, in in different territories. And do you is that the, the approach now? Obviously, you have a distributor here within uh, the MIA region. Do you have, or are you on the in the process of setting up distributor agreements within other territories as well? Yes, um, it does make a difference. Uh, at the beginning of PowerPoint, don't even have logos on our partnerships or customer list. Uh, we believe that the best technology always wins. Uh, it was, of course, a bit naive of, uh, of us thinking so back in the days, but now it makes a big difference. You know, having seeing, oh, you 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 are with VAT uh, technologies, oh, you you are doing business with Microsoft, or oh, you are a preferred solution of Microsoft. It, it immediately removes the mental barrier of this is just a new company coming and is unproven. You know, that completely just falls out of the window. The moment they see the logos on the PowerPoint, knowing that who yep. we have as customers, it counts for something. So this boring trust is one. And um, we have also gone into meetings with Microsoft, where Microsoft would then be offering their perspective as a trusted advisor, saying that, mm-hmm. okay, if you set up your solutions this way, to combine your Microsoft products and simplified products, you will have a much holistic solutions. You know, if it comes from a Microsoft solution architect saying that, it, it carries yeah. a different weight than us uh, with our sales team, for example. We hope you enjoyed the session. If you'd like Alcon Maddox to support your next talent acquisition project, please contact Richard at alconmaddox.com or visit our website for more information.